evening, everyone. You're listening to Books on Stage with Elite Conversations. I'm one of your co-hosts for this evening, Annette Gomez. My other co-host is Kelly King. Hi, Kel. Hi there. This is really exciting for us because today our guest is none other than Dr. Anna Holloway, formerly a professor at Fort Valley State University, but she's always connected in so many ways. We both had the privilege of being her students. We are blessed to have her today. Welcome, Dr. Holloway. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's been it's been an interesting uh, evening trying to get started, but we're so happy to have you. But Doc, let me brag on you for a moment. Um, Dr. Holloway is a retired professor of English writer and editor. During her 46 years at Fort Valley State University, she taught writing, literature, journalism, and editing, and served as the advisor to the Creative Writing Club at Magazine. She received her BA and MA in English from the University of Wisconsin at Madison in 1967 and 68 respectively, and her PhD in English from Kent State University in 1981. In addition to teaching upper and lower division English classes, during her time at Fort Valley State, she served in several other capacities, leading a student discussions club, directing an academic program for ROTC, serving as head for mass communications, directing the technical and professional writing program, teaching online for the University System of Georgia's ECOR program, and serving in her final seven years as Dean of Graduate Studies and Extended Education with encompassed not only graduate programs, but also continuing education, online education, adult learning, and military affairs. And she has just recently published a number of poems in literary magazines, but her most recent accomplishment is Looking for Jazz, and that's where we begin this evening. Doc, so, so happy for you. Um, I. I was just ecstatic when I first saw it on Facebook and I was like, oh my God, Doc took time out for herself. So congratulations <laughs> on your memoir. Thank you very much. It took a long time to do. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to get into in a moment because it, it's so well written. You know, we're, everybody's so busy, but I found it to be a conversation piece, really a history and lesson outside of the classroom. So, so many vivid memories found in the pages, if you will, when did you start to chronicle this? Well, the way my memory works is sort of like little videos stored in my head. And mm -hmm. so um, I've, I figured out a bunch of topics and wrote down things about each topic. And then I also had a little bit of help from Will Meta Langston in the Heritage Room, looking through old peachites and yearbooks and things like that. Um, so, I've had several people ask me, how did I remember all that? I don't know. I just did. Yeah. Uh, I think Are when you, you like me? You jump up in the middle of the night and you kind of sketch things down because I won't remember. Do you do that? Uh, no, but I found lately that I think of things <laughs> right before I get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> yes. In fact, yes. Like, it happened to me in graduate school too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what I really want to talk about off the top, and I didn't even realize that you knew this, but we, all three of us are Midwesterners, at least from South Bend, and I'm from um, Illinois, and I found life to be very different in the South, if you will. It was very much a culture shock, because mm -hmm. racism is very overt in the South, yet in the North, it's very covert, and you mm -hmm. start off chapter two talking about your preconceived notions about the, the South. You're 23 years old. I mean, no trepidation whatsoever about heading down to Fort Valley, Georgia. Well, I think um, my boyfriend or my husband at that point mm -hmm. um, always 
accused me of being naive. So I was sort of looking forward to getting experience. <laughs> um, and uh, I think when you're 23, uh, and plus, you know, I moved a lot. Wheaton is one place I lived in Illinois, but I lived in a number of other places. So moving wasn't a big deal to me. Um, so I guess that's just uh, my personality plus my background. <laughs> And, and that was going to be my next question because I was going to say, well, obviously that's how you were raised, you know, maybe a little bit of no fear in what was going on in your home, because I was like, okay, that's a huge transition. <laughs> well, uh, my mother didn't like arguing because she argued once with my father and she thought it was, he thought it was a debate and she didn't, but, but we would discuss, he was an economics and marketing professor and we would discuss at the table every night so I guess maybe that that's so I guess although they were strict with me as the oldest in a way they treated me like an adult so oh, so maybe that's the answer I don't know <laughs> yeah and and I always say God had me at the right time I'm not sure I would have made it back in that era but what hmm. was it about FBSU that drew you to it um well my first husband was going to be stationed at Fort Benning um, for officer training, he later on became a Green Beret. And so I was just looking for something. I had just gotten my master's and I wanted to be a college professor. So I was just looking for a job with, near Fort Benning. And uh, when I interviewed, and I also got a job offer from Tuskegee, but at that point, uh, I think somebody, a taxi driver got shot that summer. And so I thought, oh, Tuskegee would be dangerous. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> Miss mm -hmm. Douglas was very nice and everybody was very nice when I came down to interview. So um, I was just glad to be able to get started. <laughs> get, and get and start into your career. That's well, right. I was really good about taking notes and marking things down. And first few pages, I think it was around page 12, you tell Dr. Henning, who's the head of your master's program, you've essentially applied for a position at Fort Valley State. And he says, oh, your career is over. Can you take me back to that moment? Okay, I could tell you something I took out of the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, um, I mean, I was disappointed because I was pretty excited about having a job and I wanted to be like my dad who had been a college professor. He, I think was thinking, um, I forget now where he went to school in the South in a prestigious school. And uh, I think he was thinking we at Univers in University of Wisconsin was like the fourth ranked English department graduate school in the country. So I think he thought we were all going to go to some elite place. And I don't think I understood all that at that time. The thing I took out of the book is he may have had his thoughts about going to a black college too, but... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, so I decided not, you know, not to dwell on that. It was enough because I don't, I didn't think of it so much later. Anyway, I didn't think of it at the time he was talking to me. So um, it, it probably has to do with elitism. Yeah, yeah, and so obviously you didn't let that cloud your judgment, and you compartmentalized right. that and put that away. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, Fort Valley, um, you know. All those 46 years I worked, and you can see in my bio, I did a whole lot of different things. And that's bad if you want to publish a lot of academic books, but it's good if you want an interesting career where you get to experience a lot of different things. So yeah. um, it, it was always interesting. And there's a couple other poignant moments in the book. Um, 
you're standing at the line at the bank and you're being stared up and down. Mm -hmm. um, I think you were touted as the woman who dared to teach at FBSU. Excuse my language. Um, you're being called a honky by a mob of students, if you will. And not one time are you thinking, I'm out of here. <laughs> well, um, because my students and my, I think virtually all my my colleagues were very, um, more well, the senior and junior girls were a little unsure about me, but except for the English majors, but they were still they were still nice enough, and everybody else was extremely nice and. And I felt very comfortable. And so, um, but I heard, I think I mentioned that in the book too. I heard later that that the people downtown wouldn't even rent to someone who was working at the university. So that wow. must be why Miss Douglas made sure I had a place <laughs> to put a mobile home. I wanted a mobile home anyway, but she made sure I could put it on Dr. Stalworth's land. So um but there were still good people. And uh, I always remember Buddy Smithson when he says, well, it's coming, you know, he didn't yeah. seem to be full of hostility. He just was like, it's a new world. <laughs> yeah. And, and you've answered my next question because I said, where do you go to build yourself up from there? And I think I got my answer, but I also want to talk about, I found it interesting the the community that you kind of built around you and in, in the kinds of friends that you had, I thought that was really poignant as well. Because mm -hmm. for every negativity, there was always this positivity, mm -hmm. whether you were having dinner with someone or just sitting on the porch. I thought that was really interesting as well, while all of that is going on. Well, I think um, it could be worse. And um, I don't know if you've heard of Henry Bryant, but he was the principal of the Blacks and uh, his daughter, Dolores um, Bryant Booker, told me that then they went, when integration was forced in 1970, they made him assistant superintendent of, of schools. But Peach County did something most other counties didn't do. They built a brand new school to be integrated. Instead of having black kids intrude on the white high school, they just built a whole new school for everybody. And I think Mr. Lindsay was one of the first band directors and he, he is black, of course. So um, mm -hmm. Peach County, and I always, I always asked my students where they were from. I just made a tradition of that. And um, and uh, so I noticed that, the, I don't know if it's still true anymore today, but at that time, the kids from Fort Valley were a little more polished say than some from yeah. surrounding towns. And it's probably because the college was here. All my friends now tell me about their youth spent over on campus doing things, even though they weren't college students yet. So there was a community. Okay. Well, you opened another segue for me because I was saying <laughs> how I was getting ready to ask you, how did you build up that connection with those students? Did you, it's obviously like, this is not a negativity, but you have to sometimes come down to their level mm -hmm. um, because it was probably culture shock to them as well. Yeah. Well, um, I thought, especially in literature class, um, they were um, very interested. They acted like they didn't think they were going to be interested, but come to find out, they were. And um, and when when I was at Wisconsin, there were these fabulous lecturers, and I could tell within a week that was not going to work. And so, I used what they call the Socratic method, and and I would ask them questions and. 
and they would put their two cents worth in. So, um, and and I've always had the attitude of treating, I think I even treat animals as adults. I treat everybody as adults. I yes. don't, I've always had that approach to life. So, and I wasn't much older than them anyway. So, yeah. but I treated them as adults, I think. And um, so it just all worked out. Uh, and I, you know, you remember the ones from your first few years particularly well. And uh, so I, I have good, great memories, especially of that first four years. Yeah. And speaking of memories, Doc, can we just go down memory lane for a minute? Because <laughs> Kelly and I had this conversation yesterday. There's so many incredible buildings on that campus. And mm -hmm. the fact you were throwing out some names because, you know, Carnegie Hall, Dr. Mm -hmm. Stallworth. What was that like to have? You've got all this perspective from those individuals now. What, what did yeah. you learn from some of those individuals? Well, Dr. Thalworth was was uh, a very friendly and uh, kind person. And Dr. Banks was, um, he was dignified, but he was down to earth because like he was from Mississippi originally, almost Louisiana. And uh, Dr. Blanchett was this, Southern gentleman. <laughs> he was real light skinned. And I, I don't know where he was from originally. He'd gone to Michigan State for his degree. Um, so, and Dr. Bellamy came after I had been there a little bit. And he was very forceful in the way he said things, you know, as, as he always was. Um, and uh, I, I got a kick out of Miss Douglas. I really respected her. Mm -hmm. But she, um, she was, uh, and she came to teach at Fort Valley State the year I was born, 1945. Mm -hmm. But she was, she was uh, a little plump, and she mm -hmm. didn't seem to mind that some little hairs were growing out of her chin and stuff. And she might have a, a little stain on her, <laughs> her shirt, her, her dress. But she was still everybody really respected her. And so it was sort of amusing to think about it, but at the same time, it didn't affect anybody's um, respect for her at all. And uh, so, well, I can't really think, I can't think of anybody that I really had a negative attitude toward at that time. And you seem to have had such deep friendships. Have some of that continued with, with some of their family members or? Uh, anything of that nature? God. Um, mainly through St. Luke's Episcopal Church, I would say, um, like the Dixons, for example. Mm. Um, and Miss Douglas moved back to Chicago, and uh, and Mrs. Miller passed away. Unfortunately, I really, really loved her. Um, and uh, and the others, I would, I. I like I might know their kids, especially if they went to Fort Valley State, or even if they didn't. Uh, like the Corkers, for example, who were yeah. my neighbors. Um, so, you know, they talk about uh, the Southern hospitality, and y'all come, and y'all come see us here. You know, uh, actually, <laughs> I don't think I spent much time in people's houses, even my church members, unless there was a meeting at their house or something like that. So I um, I feel like I have wonderful friendships, but 
I didn't um, become part of their family, so to speak. Uh, there wasn't as much real Southern hospitality as it didn't seem to mean what I thought it meant. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that too or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lots of lessons there, Doc. But speaking of children, when we come back, Kelly talks with Dr. Holloway and the lessons she's learned and how she's passing them on to her children. You're listening to Books on Stage. Everybody. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, coming to remind you about our amazing Beat Cultural Relocation Tour. Yes, dates are available for 2024. You don't want to miss this amazing experience. Check out our YouTube channel. See the um, testimonies that people have given about this tour. It is life-changing. For more information, call 540-446-5107. Or you can reach me at charlotte at blackexpatsinpanama.net. I love you, I love you, I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Welcome back, everyone, to Books on Stage, um, where we have Dr. Anna Holloway, former Fort Valley State University professor and author of Looking for Jazz, a memoir about the Black college and Southern town that shaped her life. Uh, she is our special guest this evening. Um, and we just uh, had a very riveting and interesting conversation um, with Annette about your book and, and some of the particulars within your book, but I kind of want to take it a little bit of a different direction. Um, one of the things that was so interesting to me about your book and that grabbed me right away was that you, you are in a unique position as a Caucasian woman coming to a Black school and in the time that you did, in the 50s and 60s and everything that was going on there. So, you know, that, talk to us a little bit about um, the lessons that you learned during that time. And I know, you know, you had good times, but I'm sure that there were challenging times as well. And can you talk to us a little bit about how maybe society changed in terms of racism, social injustices, and, and that sort of thing from then? 50s and 60s until now? Um, yes, I think in, in my life it changed because of my children, because they, even though I didn't live in Peach County after that first four years, um, I brought them to school here and they had friends. And one thing I noticed was when they were little, the black and white kids played together and my kids would go to the homes of both black and white kids. But then in high school, all of a sudden, they split, they split apart. And um, in their senior year, um, some well-to-do white kids started hanging out with the black kids. Like, I get, think they thought, we're going to leave home now so we can, we can do this. Um, that's my theory. But um, so over the years, I gradually got to know people because of our kids doing things together. Um, and, uh, but I had, you know, those things I write about in the book were not like lynchings or anything, but they were quite unpleasant. Like the lady who made the derogatory remark about the black student who wanted to use the bathroom at Parsons mm. and said, we don't, who wants to use it after them? And so then, you know, my 
my personality sort of flared up and I wrote a letter to the editor of both the Leader Tribune and the Peachite. I don't know that the Leader Tribune printed it, but people in town still remember it. So <laughs> it's a small town. But, um, and I heard people, you know, insult Blacks on the sidewalk or whatever. And, uh, um, but on the other hand, when the students were protesting, Mm -hmm. Apparently, the sheriff wanted, did not want other people to think that we had a town in which there were black militants or anything like that. So, um, he he uh, he said that we you know we're not that kind of town. And for a long time, many of us thought that it was all about cafeteria food or something. But then, that's where I did do some research, or reading in the peach, I, and I began to realize it wasn't. And then when Tommy Dorch, bless his heart, came here to speak, and he was my student back then, um, he told about having um, talked to, I guess, a GBI person, and uh, who de who defused the situation, and and I think luckily it was a black GBI person, which which probably helped, but. Um, so today, um, certainly there are more black people in town. They have more represented in all places, whether it's downtown Fort Valley, the city council, the county commission, I think that police chief is a very smart young man who's black. Um, I've met him at Dr. Ben Hartsfeld's house. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then there are some people who are just wonderful always, like Linda Smith, who ran Little People Daycare. Her whole family grew up here, but she was always a good person um, who never seemed to show any signs of, of racism. Um, so some people just, I guess they're raised right or whatever, um, or raised with more awareness, or they're just good people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's funny you said that because um, I was thinking the other day, you know, you've got Black Lives Matter, you've got all of these different, you know, um, you've got uh, white supremacists, we've got all kinds of divisive things happening in our country mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. And if people really would just take this, I call it the small town approach, and just get to know each other. You know, mm -hmm. you'll find that we have, and, and not to be, um, right but we have more in common right. <laughs> than we have differences yeah um, I, I really believe in community um I sometimes feel guilty I don't match my words with actions enough but I do I do some uh, things in the community yeah because yeah. I do think that's knowing people is what it what really matters absolutely absolutely um you know you talked about some of the segregation that was happening and, and how some people didn't want to use the same bathroom as black or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, that sort of thing. Even today, um, I, I heard in the news one time that the most segregate, segregated time in America is Sunday. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> right. And so um, talk to us a little bit back about your faith and how your faith kind of helped you um, navigate all of these things that were happening? Well, um, I grew up Lutheran. While I was being an English major, I began to think I was a deist. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the thing about the Lutheran church, similar to 
Episcopals and Roman Catholics is the liturgy is very important and is handed down over centuries. So it's not somebody's ego. It's something that has been treasured and uh, agreed upon by people for a long time in, in countries where individual rights are important usually is because I believe God thinks all individuals are important. Mm. And uh, I was I mean, amazed. Well, first of all, there were hardly any Lutheran churches. And in my next book, you're gonna find out about an issue I had at one of them. But, um, <laughs> but I was amazed that there were two Episcopal churches, a white one and a black one. And because they're both small, but they both have a nice building and so forth. And then Dr. Um, Barry used to, he was in the NAACP and he used to go around and try to integrate churches and usually they wouldn't even let him in. Then he'd come back to the faculty meeting and tell us about it. But um, today, partly because everybody's getting old and we don't have as many members, <laughs> um, the two Episcopal churches are now at least doing things together. Wonderful. We still have our separate churches, but like on Friday, the ladies from both churches are going to have lunch at the railroad cafe and the men do it on Saturday mornings. Um, and uh, so, and a lot of those people were my son's teachers. Uh, in fact, one was my Lama's instructor for my second child. Wow. <laughs> right. So, you know, over time, um, those two churches are getting closer together. I can't really, and then I think the mega churches probably have people of all races. I assume I don't go to them, but as for for the first Methodist and the first Baptist and so forth, I I, I doubt it. And then the same with Trinity and St. Peter's, you know, I'm sure they welcome you, but they don't have white members, I don't think. Yeah. So yeah, they're still on separate tracks. <laughs> well, and I, I know that you know this, but uh, the uh, Fort Valley was the Fort Valley High and Industrial School. Um, they were affiliated with um, the Protestant Episcopal Church. That's right. That's right. So, that's um, how we got our church. Our church is actually owned by the Diocese of Atlanta. Most churches are owned by their congregation. But the deal was, if they were going to let the state take over, they had to have a church. So, so that's how we got our church. <laughs> interesting. That is yeah. very interesting. Um, so kind of pulling it together, um, you know, with your faith and kind of your values um, that you brought with you to the school. Um, it seemed like you, and you talked a little bit about this in your epilogue, about how your parents instilled in you to respect all people, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but talk a little bit, if you would, about what the students may have taught you, even though you came with your own set of, of values. But what did you take away from the students? there for that? Um, well, I know that um, all Southerners, including my students, um, if you don't speak, you have the big head. You know, you're supposed to, <laughs> supposed to speak to people unlike where I came from. Um, and uh, again, I, I mean, I, I remember going in the, what used to be called the academic building, it's Founders Hall now, to the ladies room and being a little shocked to see my face because I really just uh, sort of felt like I was part of things I would forget that we were different. Um, so I don't know if there are particular things that I'm sure there are 
and they've just sunk in subconsciously, but I can't really think of anything to name. Um, one day, thing I do want to mention, which is not really related to your question, but maybe indirectly, one reason I wanted to stay in the South is that I did marry a man from Fort Valley who was a Vietnam vet and came to Fort Valley State. And I, I knew about families up North and some were from military too, because they had integrate, integrated marriages a little earlier than some people. But the black kids or mixed race kids being raised in a white community, I thought they weren't getting in touch with black culture. But if I stayed in Georgia, our kids would know Uncle Raleigh, Aunt Betty, you know, grandmother and all these people. Yeah. And uh, I think from them, I learned um, I probably to be a little more talkative and open um, or talkative in a certain way. I think I've always been a big talker, but talkative in a maybe more down to earth way. Um, so I think from the from the family, I learned quite a bit too. Yeah, yeah. Huh? wonderful. Wow, that's wonderful. Huh? Um, so, what do you want people that to take away from your book? What lesson do you want them to take? What message do you want this book um, to give? Right. Um, well, of course, it, I'd like them to look back and see what the times were like. But as far as a, as a message is concerned, that my students accepted me, I, I was completely comfortable. I've met other people like from New York who will say, oh, that must have been terrible. What was it like? You know, but it wasn't terrible at all in any way. Uh, the odd things were like when that guy, Peter Dolce from the North, wouldn't talk to me in public because he didn't want to be seen as talking to white people because he had these preconceptions, you know, but the but the regular old people who lived there were um, just uh, everyday people and we got along with without any problem. So I think that's what I would like people to take away is it's back to what you were saying about community. If you with people and working toward a goal with people, doing everyday things with people, then you get to know them and, and uh, appreciate each other. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you want your legacy to be? Well, um, I guess I, ha I feel like I had a very unique experience. And uh, so I think people can, can learn from that. I feel I regret that um, the humanities are not being taught as much anymore. And uh, I hope that um, people might gain some appreciation for English, literature, um, writing, creative writing, uh, music. Yes, um, I, I would like. To, yeah, I would like to be seen as part of that um, um, milieu or that kind of person. And I hope that it uh, encourages some other people to do the same. Wonderful. wonderful. There are so many wonderful lessons in your book, um, and even lessons that you may not say them outright, but you gather them from the stories you're telling and how you're telling them. Um, just an amazing book. I enjoyed it so, so very much. Please let our audience know how they can get this book, this awesome book. Thank you. And I meant, I'd also like to mention my website, 
uh, which shouldn't be too hard to remember because it's just AnnaHollowayWrites.com. But I, in addition to the book, which is available on Amazon, um, look up uh, Looking for Jazz will get you there, or Looking for Jazz, Anna R. Holloway will get you there. But um, on my website, I am continuing to write blogs about those experiences, and now I'm moving into writing another book about our 14 years in rural Macon County as an interracial family. <laughs> and so my, some of my blogs are probably gonna start getting into that. So um, if they go to the website, they can subscribe. And then if they don't like it, they can unsubscribe. You know how those things work these days. So, um, but it's at, it's on Amazon right now. And I am going to be sitting at homecoming selling it. I don't think your listeners, it'll be after homecoming when your listeners hear this, but, but I hope to see you guys there. <laughs> Wonderful. Doc, it has been so amazing talking to you and seeing you again. Thank you so much for the rich history, the lessons, the wonderful stories that you shared through your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Annette, I know you want to say some closing remarks. I, I am just overjoyed. I'm so glad. I don't even, you know what's running through my mind, Carol? Thank you for putting up with me, Dr. Holloway. <laughs> we could say okay. that. I turned out okay. She had a lot of questions. <laughs> Doc, I shared with Kelly last night. I remember Doc saying, Annette, you're not happy unless you're worried about something. Can you just relax? But I just know that I will say this in, in earnest. They don't make teachers like you anymore. Amen. And, and you're such a treasure. Amen. And please call us again when you write the follow-up because I think oh, yeah. that's something that's that you could share. But uh yeah, there's wonderful teachers, but they don't make them like you anymore. Thank yeah. you very much. Love you guys. <laughs> I love you back. Love you too, Doc. Thanks, Doc.